0: Hi. Let's pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, we love you. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word as a guide. And I just pray, Lord, that your word would speak today. I pray that it would be clear and that it would be relevant to our hearts. I pray that you would teach us all something new, something old, something fresh, something that we needed to be reminded of Um, We just need you to speak today. So we just ask God that you'd be here and that your presence would be with us. We love you. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So um, my name is Aaron. I'm the high school pastor here, uh, formerly the junior high pastor. And um, next year will actually be my 13th year of youth ministry here at Calvary Vista. Um, Yeah, thanks. Um, I started out in children's ministry. I remember um, when I was at family camp, a woman named Helene Benish gave me my first puppet. It was this iguana named Iggy. A lot of you guys know it's a silly little show I do for the kids every year at family camp. Love it. Um, started out doing puppet shows, serving in children's ministry. Um, honestly, it was, ju- it was more fun trying to get Mike Savigny and Dave Stanford to laugh at the jokes than the kids. Um, I served alongside uh, Dave Davenport in his, I think it was third grade classroom, um, when I was 16 years old, I became a junior high counselor. Um, I was drafted in by Trevor O'Keefe, and um, I was such a slacker um, at it that I ended up getting fired from being a junior high counselor. Um, and then I drove up to Brinkle Terrace and cried because I felt like a failure. Uh, but I was really lame. I like slept through everything, and my kids were always late to everything, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I repented came back and never left. I've been there ever since. I've spent more time in the youth room than I have in this room, to be honest. Um, and you know, it, it's been an honor to serve these kids. Really, I feel like they're family to me. Um, Some of the kids in my youth group right now, I was a volunteer when they were in children's ministry and volunteer in uh, junior high and then pastored some of them through junior high. Um, And it's really an honor to be able to move up with these kids. I, I never would have dreamed that. That's a an opportunity that a lot of youth pastors don't get to move up with the kids that they work with and see them through till graduation. And, um, you know, I'll just tell you, my wife and I, we feel the call of God to dedicate our lives to serving young people. That's, that's the calling that we feel. Um, but I will say, as someone who's worked with young people for many years, young people can be confusing and strange. And, and, and all the parents say, amen, yes, it's true, they can't. Um, I'd be lying if sometimes they did things that even confused me. Like, for instance, um, I remember at camp, they're taking these pictures, and I thought, oh, they're just really into prayer. It turns out it has something to do with rap music or Justin Bieber or I don't know. See, I, I'm out of touch now. I, I'm realizing um, I've become lame. Uh, I don't know anything anymore. Uh, when I became a junior high counselor, I was the weird, eccentric, long hair, hippie, cool counselor guy. Um, and, you know, I'd do all these funny voices. That was my in. I'd meet kids at camp and I'd be like, you know, hey, Scooby-Doo or, you know, whatever. That wasn't even a good voice. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I do a voice and the kids would love it. Now I've been with these kids for years. They don't care anymore. I'm, I'm like, hey, it's, you know, I do a voice and they're like, you're lame. You're old. We have heard it all before. I'm back to square one. I used to be cool. Now I'm the awkward one. It's like high school all over again. Seriously, it's, it's intimidating. Um, so it can be strange, you know. And speaking of young people, and um, you know, speaking of music, um, you know, I want to show you guys an interesting quote. Um, this is from the Parents Music Resource Center. It says, "Music is a huge aspect of teen rebellion. Teen music has caused mass spread of teen drinking, drug use, and violence." And I read that, and I was like, "Who are they talking about? Are they talking about Kanye West or maybe Katy Perry?" Well this is actually from the 1950s. They're talking about Elvis. Um, So I just, I want to point out, you used to be the weird ones and the dangerous ones. Uh, Any former greasers in here? Anybody? Leather jacket, long hair, motorcycle, anybody? Yeah? Okay. Any hippies? Any ex-hippies? Yeah? Oh yeah. Awesome. Okay. So here's the thing. As a youth pastor, um, I've noticed a lot of times people tend to look down on young people. Um, there's a book called Teen 2.0. Um, now, this book to me already seems very dated because it's got an endorsement from Newt Gingrich, uh, who I don't know if he's super popular anymore. Um, and that kid looks like I did when I was in the third grade. So um, I'm going to update it. There we go. Modern, <laughs> modern teenager. Um, so... <laughs> Um, Robert Epstein, PhD, um, he gave a test to adults asking questions about the potential that young people had. Things like, do you believe young people can succeed? Do you believe that they can do the right thing? Do you believe that they can benefit society? And uh, let's just read the excerpt from the book. So it says, uh, he says, Note that we didn't ask whether all young people have these abilities, just whether many do. We also didn't ask whether young people currently behave in these ways, but merely whether they have the potential to do so. Even so, the results were discouraging and illuminating. The average adult appears to think pretty poorly of teens. Out of a possible high score of 24, the mean score on the test was 11.4. In other words, on a percentage basis, our adults gave teens a score of 48%, a failing grade for sure. Half our adults, and in fact, gave teens only 10 points out of 24, and 5 of our 100 adults gave teens a pathetic score of 3, meaning they believe that teenagers have virtually no adult competencies, not even any potential. On the other extreme, 4 of the adults gave teens a perfect score of 24. So... What I get from this is that many people tend to think little of young people. Well, today as one of the youth pastors, I want to stand in the generational gap and I want to reveal a simple truth to you, which is God is magnified through young people. He's magnified through everybody, but today I want to focus and just reveal to you, and especially I want to encourage those of you guys who are parents or grandparents, God loves young people, and God sees tremendous potential in our young people to do great things for his kingdom. God is looking for adults who are willing to look past cultural stereotypes and differences and see young people with his eyes, and the best way we can do this is to go to the Word. If you want to open up to Psalm 127, that's where we're going to be camping out today. And as you're turning, I just want to give an endorsement and let you guys know um I don't have any kids of my own, um, so please don't think I'm up here saying, hey, let me tell you how to parent. Um, What I'd like to do today is just share with you some things that God has put on my heart as an adult who works with young people. And um, these are truths that in any context, whether you've got kids who are 40 or whether you've got kids who are 10, um, we all have young people in our lives. Some of us are parents, some of us are not, uh, but we all have young people in our lives. In fact, the Church is a family. And so I want to share some truths to show us how we can be the best family that we can be. Does that sound good? You guys with me? Okay. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 127. Let's read it. Psalm 127 Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late. To eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. Whether you're sitting next to your parent, or you're sitting next to your kid, or maybe you're not related to anyone in here, like I said, we're all a family. God has things to say to everyone here today. Parents, children, grandparents, singles, humans. God has things to say to us. So, I've got three words that the Lord put on my heart on this subject. The first is, let your arrows fly towards the target, I want to look at two parts of the verse we just read. The first, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. And unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So, right off, the author of this psalm is saying, Kids are a blessing. Now, I know some people who act like they're a curse. They'll say to me, Hey, Aaron, do you have kids? And I'm like, no. And they're like, good. Don't ever have them. Your life will be ruined. You'll never go to sleep. You'll die. Like, (laughs) that's what they tell me. Um, Well listen, God says that they're a blessing. God says children are a heritage. They're a legacy, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. I was talking to Brian Delmore, our assistant junior high guy here at the church, and Brian said when he used to work a landscaping job, he would talk to his boss, and his boss said, my kids are like arrows. I want as many as possible so I can have more ammo to shoot at the devil's face. And I thought, that was just awesome. Such, such a rad picture. Um, that's how I view the youth group. When I look at the kids in our junior high group, and our high school group, I see potential. I see arrows. I don't see just a bunch of shiftless, loitering teenagers. I see people that God has set aside for a purpose. And listen, as warriors for the Lord, our job for the youth in our life, it's, it's not to hold them back. Um, it's actually to let them fly. Just like when you have a bow and arrow, you pull it back. But then you don't just leave it there forever. You let it fly. Nobody wants their kid living in their basement forever. If you do, that's weird. Um, We (laughs) take the kids God has given us, we train them up, and then we let them fly towards the target. But the question is, what is the target? Well, I just want to be upright, forthright, up front. The target is the kingdom of God. Of God. Is that up there? No. Let's try it again. Yes, our target is the kingdom of God. So, what does that mean? For me, when I was a kid, I thought the kingdom of God was this concept that was be good because God is always watching, He's making a list he's checking it twice. Like I got God and Santa mixed up. They both had the big flowing beard in my mind. And it was like, okay, the kingdom of God is this place where I go when I die. So I got to be really good so I can go to heaven. Then I was like, what is heaven? And I'd see the old paintings and I just thought heaven was a place where you went and you sat on a cloud and you played a harp and you turned into a naked baby. Cause in all the paintings, it's these babies, like these chubby babies. And I was like, man, like, I don't even know if I want to go there. Sounds depressing. Well, listen, the Pharisees in the Bible, they thought the same way. In Luke chapter 17, they said to Jesus, they said, okay, this kingdom of heaven you're talking about, when's it going to come? How do we get there? Uh, is it going to come down on a cloud? Like, what are you talking about, kingdom of heaven? Because if you don't know, in, especially if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus didn't come to say, hey, be good, because that's what it's all about. He didn't come to say, hey, I'm making a list and checking it twice. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God. So, They asked Jesus, you know, is it going to come down in a cloud? Like, where? I don't understand. This is what Jesus says. This is his response. He says, listen, the kingdom of God is not something where you're going to see it coming down from a distance. You're like, oh, there's the kingdom that's coming. It's not something where you're going to look in a distant land and you're going to see that the kingdom's rising. And it's like, oh, we need to move to that country because that's where the kingdom is. Jesus says, listen, the kingdom of God is among you. What he was trying to tell them is where I am that is where the kingdom is. When Jesus made his triumphant entry and he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he wasn't just proclaiming that he was king of the Jews. He was proclaiming that he was king of the heavens and king of the earth. What I believe is that heaven is absolutely a place that we go when we die and we will fully see the kingdom of God realized. But What I also understand is that when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is among you and I am king and you follow me. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is. And that totally revolutionized my thinking because it made me realize I'm not just living for some far off future where Jesus is king, I'm living for a present where Jesus is king and he is a wise ruler, he is a powerful king, he is mighty. He is excellent. He is for me. Who can stand against me? It it totally revolutionized my thinking. And the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. That's, That's what we talked about at camp this year. Because see, the world teaches, the world's kingdom teaches, it's all about self, success, safety, security. These are the principles we live life. It's for us and our riches and our gain. But Jesus teaches it's about selflessness. It's about servanthood, sacrifice, and suffering all for God's glory. If you think about it, that is very upside down from the way that we grow up learning how to live. We grow up thinking that we're the main characters in our own story. And I, I do it. You know, I get up in the morning. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a great day for me. And I'm hungry. And what can I do for me? And how can I make myself happy? And it's the me show. Like, we think of ourselves—you guys ever seen the Truman Show? you know, Jim Carrey, and he's in this world that's created for him and everyone else is just a supporting character to support his dreams and his goals and his life. A lot of times that's the way that we live. And that's the way that society trains our kids to live. It's all about us. What can you do for me? But listen, history is his story. It's not our story. It's his story. And it's an epic story. Satisfaction does not come from chasing our story, but it comes from pursuing God's glory. Jesus didn't ask for a bunch of fans. He demanded followers. Guys, listen. Our target is always the kingdom of God. That's what we're shooting our young people towards. The target is not soccer. The target is not straight A's. The target is not getting into the best college. It's not getting a high paying job. It's not money in the bank. It's not life looking like Pinterest. It's not trophies. It's not a perpetually clean house. It's not fill in the blank. The target is the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Does that make sense? All those other things, are they bad? No, they're fine. But what drives you? What drives your family? The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and all these other things shall be added unto you. So what does that mean? You know, seek God, and and then I'll seek God's kingdom, and then I'll get everything that I want. No, even better, you'll get everything that God wants for you, which is just infinitely better. I'll I'll use a a simple, uh, cheesy little illustration. So this is a painting. A master painting. I tried to find the artist. I'm not sure who it was. Uh, but just this is just a great painting of the nativity. And you've got the wise men coming to present gifts. And, and Jesus and Joseph. And it's just majestic. It's detailed. This is something that a master artist painted. I'm going to show you another work of an artist. And he goes by the name of little Johnny. So here you have... Joseph and Mary with halos, which is wildly theologically inaccurate. Um, you've got what looks like I, like Satan or a bull or something hanging out in the manger. There's a cat making a snowman. Um, listen, <laughs> so obviously this kid tried. We'll give him props. It's cute, but it's not a masterpiece. It's not the other one. Now, listen, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless the master paints the picture, it looks like this. If we are chasing our own dreams, trying to build our own little kingdom on earth, it's like chasing the wind. When you finally catch it, there's nothing to it. God isn't interested in helping us build our little kingdom here on earth because it's going to end up looking like this when it could look like a masterpiece. He calls us to serve something greater than ourselves. The kingdom of God is the target. Nothing else should be competing for first place in our life. Our planets need to be orbiting around the sun, S-O-N, the sun, right? Our, okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, what? Now, listen, this is not a commercial for, uh, hey, listen, All you parents, you need to tell your kids to quit sports, stop doing their homework and come to youth group because that's all that matters in life. Just in case any of you guys are suspicious, like, okay, like what's this youth pastor up here doing telling us all the, you know, the kingdom of God? Listen, youth group's not the, that's, that's not the goal. That's not the target. Church and youth group can become their own little kingdom just as well when the focus becomes on, hey, look at us and what we're doing and all the great things that we're about and Jesus isn't the focus. It can very much become that. It's not a call for us to say, hey, listen, you need to stop everything you're doing and just come and everyone grab a tent and we're going to camp out in the sanctuary forever. And we're just going to sing songs and we're only going to eat the communion crackers forever. It's going to be amazing. It's not a call for that. Listen, it's a call for us to search our hearts and ask God, what are we living for? And we, I need to constantly search in my heart and ask God, what am I living for? What is the target that I'm shooting my life towards? And what am I pointing our youth towards? Are we doing everything we can to, to try to make ourselves happy on earth and patiently awaiting the rapture or death so we can go to heaven? Or are we living for Jesus right now and doing what makes him happy? Are we serving him so that when we die or when the rapture happens, we show up and we have our hands full of treasures and gifts for the king? We want him to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Not, Hey, good job. You only listened to Christian music and nothing else. You did it. You passed the test. And you stopped listening after the Christian music that was made in 1969 because we know that's when Satan infiltrated the Christian music. Look, here's the proof Satan is real. It's an album. <laughs> Has anyone heard this album? It's amazing. <laughs> I'm serious. It's good music. It's an unfortunate cover. <laughs> um, man. Anyway, it's not going to be, hey, good job. You had fish bumper stickers all over your car. It's not going to be, hey, good job. You really disapproved of sinners when they walked in the street. You gave them the stink eye. Good job. No, we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. How do we do it? Look at, like, read the gospel. Jesus is our model. He was the suffering servant. He's there with his disciples. Everyone stinks. Everyone smells. He's not saying, you guys need to wash my feet. I'm Jesus. Peter, what are you doing? Standing around. Haven't I taught you guys better? Come on, take off your shirt, get it wet. No, he went and he washed the disciples' feet. He was Lord. He was master. And yet he became the suffering servant. He served the least of these. He laid down his life for sinners. Um, I'd like to just teach you guys a simple phrase that we taught the kids at camp. Those of you guys who were at camp, remember. The phrase is, say it with me, if Jesus is king, that changes everything. And it's so true. The world in conventional wisdom says, you've only got one life, so live for making yourself happy. But if Jesus is king, that changes everything. Jesus is our authority. He's our example. He's our leader. He's our hope. He's our savior. He's our friend. He's our Lord. Look at Luke 6, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? Now, parents, you'll like this. We, 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 we use this illustration in a high school group, and I think it's pretty good. So imagine this, um, dads, okay? How many of you guys tell your kids to clean your room? Anybody? Any room cleaning uh, advocates here? Okay, good. So um, imagine you tell your child, your high school guy or girl, hey, you need to clean your room. Two weeks go by. You give them the benefit of the doubt. They probably did it. I'm going to have faith in them. You go in. The room is a disaster. So you come out. And your child is on the phone, texting their friends, hanging out, and you say, hey, I told you to clean your room, man. And your kid looks at you and says, dad, I memorized what you said. Like, what? You're like, yeah, check it out. Clean your room. I memorized it. Isn't that great? And you're like, huh? And it's like, hey, and you know what? I actually know how to say it in Greek and Hebrew as well. Yeah, it's pretty. And check this out. I just had a small group of friends over, and we just spent hours discussing the importance of a clean room. And then, Dad, we are going to a conference this week that is—it's Clean Room Fest. And it's like they're going to be singing songs about clean rooms. They're going to be just seminars just for hours about clean rooms and how great a clean room is. And and the dad's kind of like, oh— Okay, like no, that's not gonna happen because it doesn't matter how many seminars you go to and how many Bible studies you hear and how many worship songs you sing. If you'd call Jesus Lord, the question is, do you do what he says? Do we just memorize it or do we do it? That's where it counts. Students, those of you guys who are students in this room, children, teenagers, young adults, If Jesus is king, that means obeying your parents is not just the right thing to do. Just, oh, I guess it's the right thing to do. I got to do it. It is your opportunity. It is your God-given opportunity to bring glory to God. And there's a saying that we use in youth ministry, which is the kingdom of God is all about small acts of obedience. And every act of obedience is bricks in the kingdom of God. You can be a kingdom builder by being obedient. When your parents says, hey, take out the trash, when you do it with no talk back, with no argument, you just do it because you love Jesus and you love your parents, man, you are laying down bricks in the kingdom of God. When you get home, And your mom's tired and she's had a long day and the dishes are piled up and she's sitting on the couch and she's got your little brothers and sisters running around and you go and you just do those dishes and you don't even expect her to notice. You don't say, hey mom, did you notice I did the dishes? So, uh, you know, you can't tell me to do anything else because I I did something good, you know, and it's my one good thing. No, listen. When you do that, you are dumping a whole bag of bricks out on the kingdom. Like it, the kingdom of God, is not, it's not about, hey, everyone has to get on stage and you've got to be a worship leader. That's what I thought, you know, when I was a kid to be holy, you had to be in ministry, you had to do all this stuff. No, everyone who is a Christian is called to ministry, and it is simple acts of obedience that build the kingdom of God. Parents, adults, if Jesus is king, Leading by humble example is not just the right thing to do. It is our God-given opportunity to show our children the joy of living for a king who is greater than us. There was a guy that I used to work with, um, and I remember you know, he used to just blow my mind. He, he would, um, every other year, not do Christmas. And instead of getting presents for his kid, and he's got these young kids, you know, who are just, they love toys, they love presents. Every other year, They would, instead of spending money on Christmas presents, they would spend money on the homeless and the poor. They'd buy gifts for other people. And he would take his kids to the homeless and to other people who were in in need, and they would give the presents to them. And just what what a mind-blowing thing. What a way to put God's kingdom first to say we're not gonna buy in to what the world thinks is important and we're gonna teach our kids. And it was so cool. Like, seriously, if you met these kids, they weren't like, yeah, like, dad's crazy. I'm, I'm moving to grandma's house. She'll buy me presents. No, like, they were like, we love this. Like, we get joy from doing this. Like, man, these kids are on fire. You know, there was a young man who had a good house, Young guy, on his own, he's got money, he's got a house, he's got a job, and he's praying one day and God says the unthinkable to him. But it kind of reminds me of the stuff he used to say to the prophets Isaiah and guys like that. He says, hey, I want you to sell everything, give it to the poor, and then I want you to become homeless, live on the streets, and become a pastor to homeless people. Crazy. But the guy did it and never looked back. But, but, If your son or daughter came to you and said, hey, mom and dad, here's the plan. Here's what God told me. Let's be realistic. The human nature that kicks in says, that is not the Lord, that is Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Like you need to go back to your room and pray more because the Lord would never say that. It's, It's the truth though. Human wisdom, especially in the area of young people in our life, Tends to motivate our advice and our decisions. We say this is the path to success, so this is what you take. This is the college I went to, so this is what you do. This is how I made my money, so this is probably how you should make your money. And, and we don't give our young people the benefit of the doubt that they're hearing from God too, that they're listening to the Lord. And it's it's fear a lot of times, fear of seeing our kids fail that causes us sometimes to not seek the Lord and just seek our gut. It's the American thinking, you know, the American dream. Follow Jesus unless it's risky. Follow Jesus unless it's uncomfortable. Follow Jesus unless it's unprofitable. But did God call us to those things? Did he call us to be rich and famous and successful and comfortable? No, he hung on a cross. And if you look at the 12 disciples and the the church after them, they hung on the cross too, upside down and were martyred in horrible ways. And now fast forward to where we are now and we're in a place of just perpetual comfort And we're trained to think, even it it creeps into the church where it's, God is here to bless me. God is here to make me comfortable. God is here to make me safe. God is here to make me secure. And we even can pass this down. I've been guilty of it, to pass it down to the young people in my life. But God calls us to seek his kingdom first. And when we do that, yes, sometimes it's painful, it's dangerous, it's risky, it's challenging, but you will never feel more blessed than when you are walking in the will of God, doing what he calls you to do. Talk to any one of our missionaries who've gone out from this church to live in some very poor countries and ask them, do you feel blessed? And they'll tell you, it's hard. Yeah, I feel blessed. Listen, when your child hears from the Lord that they are called to do fill in the blank and it doesn't line up with our dream of what we thought life would look for them, will you be their biggest supporter or will you be their biggest roadblock? Will you be the one who stands in the way, or will you be the one who says, "Maybe not"? Just you know, with any whim that comes to them, like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do it." But say, "Hey, okay, that's what you that's that's what you want to do." In your mind, you're thinking that sounds crazy, but you're thinking, "Okay, God, I'm going to trust you." Let's pray about this for like two months, three months, six months, five years. Um, <laughs> fill in the blank. But let's pray. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's go to his word and let's seek the Lord and let's ask God what he has and not just shut down the dream that God might be planting in their heart because it looks different than the dream that you had. Like arrows, we are launching our students into the world towards the target, not towards academic perfection, not towards worldly success, towards making his name great. The reality is our names will be forgotten I know a lot about my parents. I know a lot about my grandparents. I don't know that much about my great-grandparents. I don't know that much about my great-great-grandparents. I don't even know who the people before that were. What I realize is my name will be forgotten. In 100 years, no one will probably remember that I was a pastor at Calvary Vista. Like no one, like Aaron Salvato, who is that guy? My name will be forgotten, but the name that lives forever is Jesus. That's the name that will never be forgotten. We need to realize The kingdom of God is the target. The next thing I want to show you guys that the Lord has given me a word is we need to realize that for our students, for our young people, God is their refuge and their strength. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spirits. It's against the forces of darkness. And the enemy is on the move. Many of you guys realize this for our young people, the enemy is on the move towards them. Our national tendency is to shelter our kids from this spiritual battle. We control their media, their friends group, their curfew. Now, listen, in my 12 or now my 13 years of youth ministry, what I've seen is that young people always find a way around restrictions. Many of you guys have realized that. You, You put roadblocks, you put restrictions, somehow they find their way around and they stick their fork in the electric socket and they get burnt and they get shocked. I don't know why they want to do it. I don't know why I wanted to do it when I was a kid. I don't know why you did either. But listen, there's a battle around us. And here's what the devil's strategy is. The devil's strategy is he looks and he says, I'm going to keep as many of these young people from receiving Jesus as possible. And for the ones who do know Jesus, I'm going to try to make their life walking with him a hell on earth. I'm going to try to take away all their joy all their potential, all their opportunity. Maybe I can't get them into hell. Maybe they have a saved soul, but I'm gonna make sure they have a saved soul and a wasted life. That's a huge danger. So what's the answer? Well, what it says here is unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. The Lord has to be the one guarding. This doesn't mean lock them in their room with 20 Bibles and cover their bedroom with, you know, incense or what. That's weird. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, Listen, it's incense. I didn't write that in my notes. I, I don't know. That's weird. Listen, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Young people need rules, regulations, and guidelines. Can we get an amen? Adults like me and you. Need rules, regulations, and guidelines. Can I get an amen? That's why I drive on the right side of the road. It's a good rule. We need them. People, we need rules and regulations and guidelines to help us. And God has a whole bunch of them. But listen, much more than we need these things, which are important, what we need most of all, what our students need most of all, is a real, authentic, vibrant, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Here's what I see. Think about this. You've got Moses, right? Moses, leading people from Egypt. It's the Exodus. He leads them from bondage and slavery out into the desert. And they see great things. They see the water part from the Red Sea. They see the pillar of fire come down. They see God work in great names or in great ways. But then the next generation is born in the desert. And they didn't see any of that stuff. And all they can think of is, I'm hot. I'm hungry. Why are we out in this desert? And I've been thinking about this because I'm, you know, I'm a third generation Christian. And what I realize is... I'm just like those kids a lot of times. I wasn't there for the stuff my parents went through. I was born into this Christian faith, and growing up, there was a lot of times where I was like, why am I even doing this? What's this all about? For you guys, for your students, for your children, for your grandchildren, they weren't there when you were in Egypt. They weren't there when you almost perished because the enemy was chasing you. They weren't there when you were in bondage to your sin. They weren't there when God parted your sins with the Red Sea of his blood and led you to the other side. And now... You're on this journey to the promised land. But they weren't there at the beginning. And if all we give them is the rules, the Ten Commandments, they're going to break them and they're going to wonder what's the point. We need to give them Jesus. We need to give them Jesus first. Give them Jesus a hundred times more than we give them the rules because if we help shepherd them into falling in love with Jesus so they understand whose heart they're breaking when they break the rules and they understand that they're living for something greater than themselves. Listen, some of our kids that I've talked to, they don't even know how their parents and grandparents got saved. They don't know the story. Moses was always setting up these stones of remembrance in the desert. He was like, hey, when we walk by these, we remember what God did in our family. Tell them this Christmas, tell them the family story. Tell them what you went through. Tell them what God saved you from. Tell them what you live for. Tell them what your family stands for. Tell them the history. We need to constantly be preaching that message. Reminding where we came from. Because these these students, they need to know that God has great things for them. Our students have a holy anointing on their lives. They're appointed, they're anointed. I used to think that being holy meant perfect. And I'd read that verse where the Bible, you know, it says, be holy as I am holy. And I would think I can't do that. No matter what I do, I can't be perfect. Listen, if you study it, the meaning of holy in the Bible, in these verses, it's not be perfect as I am perfect To be holy means to be set apart for a purpose. On Super Bowl Sunday, dad's favorite recliner is holy, right? Yeah? It's set apart for a purpose. If You get in it, you're getting kicked out of it because it is holy. Listen, I have friends who left their churches after graduating because they were told, be holy. You got to be holy. You got to be perfect. And they realized, I can't. I wish somebody would have told them if you follow Jesus, you're holy. You're set apart for a purpose. You're chosen. You're set apart by a God who loves you for a purpose. Your life has meaning because Jesus loves you. You will never be perfect, but the perfect God, Jesus invites you in all your brokenness to take part of the greatest story ever written. It's incredible. Guys, listen, our students need to be holy, set apart, not to be protected from the world, but to become so full of light that they can only run into the darkness and illuminate it. Mike Dunn talked about that first service. I thought it was so great. We like Light can never be defeated by the darkness. You're in the darkness. You turn on the light, light wins. All you can do is turn the light off. The darkness can't turn your light off. Only you can do that. Our kids need to be fired up with that light. Um, I I did some Q&A with my kids recently with the students, and they asked, you know, hey, is it okay to have non-Christian friends? And I hope I didn't overstep my boundaries, but just hear my heart in this. This is why I said to them, you should absolutely have non-Christian friends. And here is why. If it's just, if it's all just about, hey, let's just hang out with the same Christian kids we grew up with our whole life, and we never do anything with this light we've been given— we never go into the world and preach the gospel. We never, like, Jesus was known for having dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors. If we were, if Jesus was around now and we saw a Facebook post and he's sitting there with all the prostitutes and like, you know, these, these, like, we'd be like, I don't know if I'm following him anymore. <laughs> like, this is bad. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not saying have your kids, you know, like, be wise, obviously. This is what I've said to kids. Should you have non-Christian friends. Yes, absolutely, if you're ready to be a missionary. Right. If you're not, and your parents will know this, they can look at your life, and you got to listen to them. If you say, hey, mom, dad, I can hang out with these people? And they're like, you're not ready. I've, I prayed. You're going to get sucked into some stuff that you shouldn't, you know. Then you got to listen to them. But listen, what you do is if your parents tell you, hey, you can't hang out with these people. You don't pout. You don't Wine you don 't run away, you say, "God, make me the person who is going to be the missionary." to my lost friends. Prepare me in this season where my parents say I can't hang out with them. Just fill me up so much with your joy and your peace and, and, and your, the excitement for the gospel that when my parents finally say, okay, now you can hang out with these people, I am ready. Not to say I'm hanging out with these people so I can become like them. I am going to them as a missionary and I will not compromise, but I will do everything I can to lovingly pull these people to Jesus. It can be tough to raise the next generation of missionaries because whenever opportunities abound, opposition appears. The enemy sees the potential our students have to do great things for God's kingdom, so they are a threat to him, so he attacks And the world gets more frightening every day. The devil will resist you every turn. There's no way he wants what your house holds unleashed into the darkness. So often the enemy will try to put a hold on your house. That's why, you know, why do we always fight on the way to church? It's because the enemy knows. It's his plan. But remember, God is our refuge and our strength. There's some young people in the Bible just... Just just think of this, young people in the Bible. You know, you got David, a kid after God's heart, loves the Lord, just passionate about the Lord, writing worship songs. He's he's on fire, but opposition, he's underestimated. His brothers, his dad, everybody looks at him. You're nothing, kid. What are you? You you think you're great? No, nothing's ever going to happen with you. We don't want you. Like, we want this guy. We want that guy. We want that guy. But God sees potential and he rose up and as young, small person magnified God. Goliath was big, but God was bigger. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. These young men were forced into a sinful environment with no parental guidance, ripped from their homes. Mom and dad can't look after them. Mom and dad can't make sure they're doing the right thing. They're thrown into a position where it is beneficial to them to do the wrong thing. And to do the right thing is literally just, it spells out disaster. What do they do? They rose up. And they stood for God, and they were blessed. They magnified God. The furnace was powerful, but God was more powerful. The lion's den was frightening, but God was so much bigger. Think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, she's she's this pure, sweet, innocent girl, probably loved by everyone in the town, just young, just hard on fire for the Lord. The angel comes to her and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And she chose to honor God even though it ruined her reputation. Have you ever thought? Teenage girl, all of a sudden pregnant. Fiance says, I didn't do it. Walking around town in a a hyper-religious environment, the stares, the dirty looks that Mary must have constantly gotten. Just ridiculed, gossiped about. And yet the whole time, even though everyone thought she was doing the wrong thing, she knew in her heart she was doing right thing, but everyone looked down on her. She magnified God. She rose up. She said, he must increase, so I must decrease. I've seen our young people in our church do these things. I've seen them rise up. I've seen them stand against temptation. I've seen them risk their reputation for Christ. I've seen our young people do the right thing, even when the parents weren't around and they didn't even know I was watching. I've seen our young people rise up. God wants to use our young people. However, the enemy will throw obstacles in their path. He throws landmines in the path of our students. Got depression on a higher rise than ever. I see in in the years I've worked in youth ministry, I've seen so many kids just struggling with suicidal thoughts, cutting, trying to make the pain go away. I've seen kids struggling with success where all they're hearing from home is just, you've got to be successful. You've got to, you've got to achieve. You've got to be as great as I was. You've got to be even greater. And it just, it's just so much stress. I've seen sexual temptation just knock our kids out. And a lot of kids, whether it's that kind of temptation or whatever, a lot of kids are hiding their sin because they're so scared of what would happen if they disappointed mom and dad. And the average age of exposure to pornography is six years old. And parents don't understand the technology. For a lot of our students, especially, you know, when they've got their phones, you know, and we don't, you know, well, I do, because I, I work really hard to understand the technology. If you want to know, talk to me. Um, but for some of you guys, I understand. You don't, you don't understand. But for a lot of our students, it's, it's basically like being an alcoholic and living inside a liquor store where the beer is free. That's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're up against. We've got eating disorders and body image and just girls who are just just so just ashamed of what they look like and on the outside trying to make sure everything looks good, but they look in the mirror and they hate themselves. And these kids need Jesus. They need us to look at them and not judge them and say, Whoa, like you guys are way worse than when I was a kid. Like I'll pray for you for a distance, but I don't want to get close to you because I don't want to get the sin on me. No, we need to go into their world and tell them they are loved. And they are blessed. And that Jesus would have died for them if they were the only people left on the earth. I remember reading about just the sad story of a, a parent who had a son who struggled with homosexuality. And they went to their church and they asked, you know, what should we do? And someone who worked at their church said, make fun of them. Call them names. Like just put them down and belittle them until they repent. You know what happened? They didn't repent. They left. They didn't come back. It's heavy issues that we're dealing with. But for us, especially those of us who grew up when the world was different, and we look at the way things are now, and we can just get angry, we can get bitter, we can get frustrated, and God is calling us to be like him and come in to that world and bring love and God's kindness that leads to repentance. We need to give them Jesus. We need to remember that only blood can death-proof your home. Look at this picture. You've got, you know, classic middle-aged Jewish guy. He's got the middle-aged haircut thing going on. Um, I love that. Okay, now think about it. You know, God says, you know, you guys know the Passover story. God comes to the Jews and says, hey, listen, if you want to survive, put the door, or put the blood over the doorpost. Imagine what it was like for like the young Hebrew kids. Dad, what are you doing with that bucket of blood? Like, You killed our pet sheep. You got a bucket of blood. You're like out in the streets in front of our neighbors and you're painting. You're like, this is weird, dad. What are you doing, dad? But dad knew something. He knew. This is what God told me to do. I got to cover our home in the blood because God will not strike the home covered by the blood. The kids didn't have to die because a substitute died for them. They were spared from death. Listen, only blood can death proof your home. You have to have the blood of Christ in the life of your family. It's the only way you can protect your family. You can't prevent a heart attack. You can't prevent getting hit by a bus. You can't prevent getting sick. But you can prevent living a life where it's all about just showing up to church for one hour and then nothing happens. You can prevent that. You can take Jesus home with you and make him a part. The Bible says in Romans, neither death nor life can separate us from the love of Christ. Kids who come to Christ, our students who come to Christ, they may live in a world that's increasingly dangerous, but they have bulletproof souls nothing can stop a Christian. It's this amazing invincibility that comes with being a believer in Christ. If your kids are in rebellion right now, if you've got students and they're they're walking away from God, just give them to Jesus over and over again. Get on your knees and pray for them. If your kids are struggling with sin, and they all are, just like we all are, give them to Jesus. Listen, listen, if you've you've got kids and they say to you, you know, know, I send out the text, you know, you guys get a million texts from me, Um, some of you guys know, I send out the text, hey, youth group's tonight, and your kid says, mom, dad, I don't really feel like going to youth group. You might say, hey, I'm the mom, I'm the dad, you're going. You can say that, it might be the right thing to do, but maybe, just maybe, skip out on youth group for that night, take your kid out to coffee, and you Give them Jesus. You know? I give you permission. You can stay home from hearing me talk and and you talk to them. Because listen, you're the best youth pastor in your kid's life. Not me. You are. Share with them. Be open. Let them express their struggles and share your own struggles. Be real. Love them. Forgive them. Encourage them. Perish the thought of a walk with God where the highlight is just church. Church. Jesus, the kingdom, needs to be our life. I remember um, one time I was at the church. It was late at night. I'm working late. All of a sudden, there's smoke in the building, just everywhere, smoke everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this place is my home. It was my school. It was my church. Now it's burning down. I'm the only one here. It's going to burn. Steve's going to show up and say, hey, bud, you, you, didn't, you didn't stop the fire. There's fire extinguishers all over the place. What are you, what are you doing? Like, I was so, that was my Steve impersonation. Um <laughs> Hey, bud. Um, <laughs> he's the best boss ever. But I was scared. That I was going to let Steve down. The church is going to burn down. I go in the kitchen. It's just a bunch of the men's ministry guys cooking sausages <laughs> for like the men's breakfast. But there's smoke in the building. I thought I was going to die. Listen, sometimes the way our life can look like is there's a lot of smoke, but there's no fire. You know what I'm saying? We, there can be a lot of stuff on the outside. You know, your kids are going to camp. They're raising their hands in worship, you know, but maybe on the inside there's no fire. We need to bring that fire. We can't rely on other people. Like, we got to give it to them. Here's my challenge. Young people, I challenge you. Take note of what your master says. show up to church with pen and paper in hand. Parents, help your kids remember this. Like, hey, Bring a pen, bring a paper. I'm going to buy you a journal. Take notes because I say a lot. I don't expect you to remember it. But if you're taking notes, you might get one or two things that God specifically had for you. And then you go home and you pray about it. Parents, this is just my challenge. After church, spend 15 minutes as a family talking about what God showed you in church. Pray it in. If you don't get anything else, get that. Continue to make Jesus a part. Meditate on the word. In fact, I'll start making little note cards that has the points from the messages I teach and I'll send them home with your kids and you pull them out and you say, hey, what did you learn? Let's talk about it. I wanna pray for you. What's God showing you? It's so easy to miss this. It's so easy to just let the busyness of life take over and just think, oh, the church will be responsible for my kids' spiritual life. But God has called us to disciple the young people in our life. I'm going to wrap this up really quick. I want to give you guys just a few quick, simple principles for just the idea of opening up our eyes to the potential that young people have. The first is that fear is the enemy, not difference. A lot of times we're so afraid of difference. Young people have so much potential for God's kingdom, but fear squashes that potential. I remember one time I was sitting in church with me and my wife and there was a girl in front of us from the high school group and she's just on her phone the entire time during the Bible study, the message, just on her phone looking down. The lady next to her is just giving her the evil eye. Just this, you know, church lady just sitting there like, like just the eye getting bigger and bigger, like, like shooting daggers, like uh, these teenagers and their phones. Uh, I wish I could burn all the phones. Uh, it's sin!" <laughs> the girl was actually taking notes the entire time just like furiously like writing down what god was showing her the lady with the evil eye didn't take any notes and me and my wife just sat there there's differences but the difference isn't the enemy it's 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 fear i asked my students what are some ways the enemy breaks down communication between parents and students and a lot of my students were saying they're const- are, are the, the adults in our life are constantly comparing us to them when they were kids you know, this is how life was when I was a kid. It needs to be like this for you. You need to do it this way. This is how I did it. Or comparing them to their siblings. You, need, you know, you're, you need to be like her. When she was your age, she wasn't doing the stuff that you're doing. And my students, I just asked them, you know, humbly, can you, would you say anything to the adults? And they said, you know, we're, we mess up. We're sinners, but we're our own people. And we need to be dealt with individually. I think that's important because that's how God deals with us. It's important to realize that our students are different than us. Our students are going to have different music tastes than us. You know, they're not going to be busting out hollow notes anytime soon, you know? <laughs> our, their style is different. Their technology is different. Their hobbies are different. Their vocabulary is different. Their way of learning is different. But their savior is the same. Their purpose is the same. Their kingdom is the same. Find common ground in that. Talk together. About we are a family on mission for the Lord. Now, kids, students, might you know, people my age, even you know, young adults, we should put down our phones at Christmas, engage, be a part. It's important. You don't understand why it's important because to you, communication with your friends, everything's based on you know, you're, you're more excited about a text than your friend talking to you. Now, that's not necessarily, that's, that's the way you communicate. It's the way that we communicate. But for the adults in your life, it's about the face-to-face. And we need to respect that. We need to honor that. It's important. But for adults, you know, maybe we need to turn off the sports game at Christmas and engage. Maybe we need to, maybe not just cluster up as a bunch of adults and talk to the adults, but we need to travel down to the kiddie table, <laughs> some of you guys do that, and hang out with them and bless them, and talk to them about what they're interested in, and then find the common ground. Talk about Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Where is Jesus going? What is Jesus about? What's Jesus doing in the youth? Awesome. Hey, mom and dad, what's Jesus doing with the adults? That's great. Let's pray. Let's do it together. Let Jesus be the common ground. I remember there was a guy once who, you know, I was a young high school kid, and I was talking about devotions, you know, and I was saying, you know, yeah, I do my devotions at night, because I'm kind of not a morning person. And he was like, oh, brother, listen. If you're not getting up in the morning at 5 a.m., it's like going into battle without putting on your armor. Which is good advice, but what I told him was, like, hey, man, I, I, I read and I pray at night, man. He's like, oh, that doesn't count. I was like, if I go to sleep with the suit of armor on and I wake up with it on, aren't I ready for battle? He's like, oh, I don't know. You know, but I... I got all bummed out because what I thought was, you know, for years, I was like, I'm not doing it the right way. Now, I I will say I'm working on it. I'm still not a morning person, but I realized the value in waking up early, getting some exercise, going for a walk, spending some time with Jesus. It's awesome. I love it. Sometimes... I have, have a really late night. Uh, youth group's over. Some of you guys don't pick up your kids until two hours after youth group's over. So they're hanging out at my house. It's great. We love it. Seriously. We, we play card games with them. It like, we live for that stuff. Me and my wife, we're like, oh, your parents aren't coming? Sweet. Let's play some video games. Like we're, we love it. But sometimes it's late night and it's like, God, it's time for some night devotions. And then I am sleeping in until like the last minute I can before I can possibly get to work on time. And I live five minutes away from work. So it's awesome. Um, but... Here's the thing. We shouldn't expect our students' walks to be cookie cutter identical to ours. We need to have faith that God is working in them even if they're different. Don't waste time complaining about the difference. Talk to one another about Jesus. Find the common ground in that. We need to encourage more than we criticize. Just a few more minutes, I promise. Encourage more than you criticize. This is something I've learned Okay, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This goes both ways. Young people take note, older people take note, and then just blessed saints take note. Um, many young people find themselves constantly failing. I know I did. Just constantly messing up. And if we're honest, us adults, we constantly find ourselves failing too. And it hurts, it stings. We also find people in our lives constantly pointing out the failures. Maybe you have people in your life like that. Maybe it's relatives, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a friend, you know, maybe it's but just they're always pointing out what you did wrong. I read an amazing book. It was a super old book that I found on the internet for free. I was talking to my grandpa earlier today and he's all, <laughs> it was so great. He, he was like um, talking about how he makes the tapes, you know, for the messages. And someone was like, um... You know, how do I get it? Like, I don't know if I get the tape. And he's like, well, I heard it's on the internet. I don't know what that is, but that's what they tell me. It's on the internet. <laughs> I thought it was so great. Um, grandma's using an iPad now, which is incredible. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so I read this book called The Young People's Pastor. It was an amazing book, this old book from the 1800s, from like the beginning of youth ministry. This is what Amo- Pastor Amos R. Wells says. Fault finding is sometimes necessary. True. But it is never wise to find fault with young people or their elders for that matter. But I am writing now in regard to the young until you have encouraged them enough to show that your heart is with them and that you love to recognize their excellencies. Blame can always safely wait for such an accumulation of praise. Do not wait for perfection or even an approximation to it before you begin with praise. Praise the beginnings. Then is when praise is most needed. Praise the little things or they will never grow to great things. I just thought... It was incredible. So that just revolutionized the way I do youth ministry. When I read that, for me, this meant I knew I, I knew when students were struggling. You know, there are certain students, you know, just they they blow it, and you know, I'd realize it because I'm their youth pastor. You know, I'd, I'd see them falling on their face all the time, and it, it would be my tendency to want to point it out because I'm trying to be helpful. I'm trying to say, hey, buddy, like you slipped up. Come on, man, get up. We got to walk together. We, we got to keep going. But for some students, they would tell me, you know, Aaron, I used to like to I used to like to come in your office and talk to you, but. I just feel like every time you say, hey, can we talk? I just feel like I'm in trouble all the time. Like anytime I hear those words, hey, can we talk? I just, I run because I'm deadly afraid that you're gonna lay into me some sort of thing that you're disappointed in me about. And that just broke my heart when I heard it. And so God challenged me for the young people in my life. God, show me what they're doing right. I know what they're doing wrong. That's easy to see. But God, help me to see with your eyes and see the good in them, to see the things that they do right. And then to call it out and encourage them. And when I started doing that, it was crazy. This is what happened. There were certain kids who were so scared of talking to me. I'd spend the next three months just looking for anything good in them. I'd I'd overlook the bad. You know, I'd I'd pray, Lord, speak to them with your Holy Spirit. And then I just say, hey, I saw the way when that kid walked in the room and you welcomed them and you were friendly. That was amazing. Praise the Lord. Man, at home fellowship, when I called on you and I asked you to share and you were like, I don't have anything prepared, but uh, I'll go for it. And then you shared and God spoke through you in amazing ways. And I'm just building them up. Like, not just, no, not just, you know, like, hey, self-confidence, you know, like, be confident in yourself. We need to just praise people and worship them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about godly encouragement to point people on the path to Jesus. There were certain kids that I had them so filled up with encouragement, just the scales of encouragement were just, psh, that by the time I had to call out something that was a struggle for them or something they were messing up in, the scales were already so full of encouragement that that challenge didn't feel like, oh, my pastor is so disappointed in me. It felt like this guy loves me. He's always encouraging me. He's always in my corner. And now he's pointing out something I need to grow in and I'm willing to do it. And it was just, it just, it it changed. Like it revolutionized things for me. Listen, if someone in my life is constantly criticizing me, I'm going to be bummed out. But if someone is in my corner, like Rocky was in Creed's Corner. You guys see the new movie? It was great, right? No? Okay. Rocky. <laughs> He's great. That guy invented the peanut. Let's hear what he has to say. He says, this is a great quote How far you go in life depends on you being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak, and strong. Because someday in your life, you will have been all three of these things. We need to give our people, our students, our young people, room to fail. This is something my dad taught me, and I'll never forget that lesson. Give people room to fail. And I'll just say, I'm running out of time, so I'm just gonna go over this as simply as possible. Think about Peter, the closest to Jesus, his number one disciple, constant failure. When Peter walks on the water, when he's out there on the sea walking, he's not walking because he's great or he's spiritual or he's amazing. The only reason he's walking is because Jesus gave him the power to do so. But when he sinks and he starts drifting and he starts failing, the only thing that pulls him back up is Jesus. Jesus. So whether our young people are in a place where they're walking on water spiritually and they're flying and they're doing great things for God or they're sinking and they're drifting, the only thing that is keeping them walking or keeping them still afloat is Jesus. We need to remember that. And when people in our life start sinking, when they start falling, we don't stand in the boat and say, all right, get back up. Come on, what are you doing? I told you, I told you this would happen. No, I'm not gonna help you. You get back up on the boat. That's not what Jesus did. He stuck out the hand and he pulled Peter back up. When people in our life fail, we need to say, hey, get back up. Let's keep walking with Jesus. Not, I told you this would happen. Not, hey, you failed. You stay down. I don't want to hear from you until you get your act together. We extend the hand and we say, get back up. Let's keep walking together. The last thing, I'm not even going to use my notes. I'm just going to say it. We need to be on mission together. Can I just, in closing, tell you how proud I am of your kids? Your students are amazing. Your students are so awesome. I love them so much. It is a joy every day to wake up and go to work and know that I get to prepare things to give them from the Lord. And it's an honor. I talked to Alex Hebert, the junior high pastor, and Brian and some of the interns. We all are in agreement. Your kids are incredible. Let me tell you about your kids a little bit. Your kids are servants. Your kids set up chairs. Your kids show up early. They straighten up the room. Some of your kids bake. They bring baked goodies for the junior high and high school kids, and they share them with people. They give their time. Some of your kids they serve on the student leadership team for the high school group, and we get together at my house and we talk about what's God's will for the high school group. And you know what your kids say? They don't say we need more laser tag, we need more broomball, we need to buy more pizza because we're hungry. You know what you know what your kids say? They say let's go work with the homeless, let's go love people. You know the last meeting that we had, they said you know what we we need to be more welcoming. When people come in the room who don't belong, who who are outsiders, we need to make them insiders. This isn't me like like planting lines or writing on note cards what the kids should be saying. This is coming from their hearts because they love Jesus. On Friday nights, we have home fellowship with the youth, the young people. And instead of me teaching, because I talk a lot, you guys are like, I know, let us go. We want to go to lunch. I'm sorry. Um, But when on we have friday nights your students i don't i don't talk i don't teach we go around the circle and your students share what god has been showing them in their hearts and it's awesome i learn it's a sermon to me the things that god shares to me through your young people blow me away the depth and the richness i was sitting uh, at camp in my dorm with some of the boys Uh, You guys know, we were were hanging out in the dorm, and the things that the young men were sharing from their heart was amazing. And they don't think it was. They're all like, I don't know if I have anything. I'll just open up my mouth and see what God does. And he just blows me away every time. Your kids are on mission. I want to share with you guys this picture. Um, This is some of our students at a high school camp. Um, That kid in the tie-dye shirt, the reason he's with us is because your kids went down to Imperial Beach two summers ago and they decided to share the gospel and they walked up to some random skateboarders and they just said, hey, have you guys heard the good news? Here it is. And they shared the gospel. And that kid was one of the skaters who gave his life to the Lord. Two years later, we still call all the time. We text. I just went down to Imperial Beach to visit him. He's doing great. He's walking with Jesus. He's on mission for his friends. He's trying to bring his friends to the Lord. This is just one of many stories. The junior high kids and the high school kids regularly go out street witnessing. We're starting back up again in January. Your kids are on mission for the Lord. I want to challenge you guys. Be on mission together. Let's not live for this kingdom and our kingdom. Let's live for that kingdom. Let's make the main thing the main thing. Let's realize that young people, yes, they fail, yes, they make mistakes, but they have immense potential for the kingdom of God. Let's not miss it. Let's not say one day they'll grow up and then they'll do it, but right now we just, no, let's not hold them back. Let's let them fly towards the target. Let's guide them there. Let's bring them home. And listen, the, the, the kids, the students, the young adults in the church, they're not just the future of the church, they're the present, Okay. We all are together. It's a team effort. We're a family. So let's run this race and let's do it together. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much, God, for this time. I just ask, God, that you would help us to see clearly. It's so easy to let fear of difference create walls between us. It's so easy for the young people to look at the old and say, they're so out of touch. And miss out on the immense wisdom and guidance and strength that can come from older, amazing, guiding saints who love Jesus. It's so easy for us adults to look at students and say, they're so different, they're so strange, they're so messed up, they're not like us. And we miss out on the amazing potential. God, I pray that you would raise up people in this church, men and women, who would disciple the young people. That they would open up their hearts and their lives to the youth in this church. That they wouldn't think of high school and junior high and college as separate entities, but that we would be a church family that is unified for you. That we would be unified in mission. God, help us to fly towards the target, your kingdom. Help us to remember, God, that you are our fortress and our strength. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And help us, God, to live for you. We love you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.